Hello and welcome back to the 22nd episode of the High Side News Podcast. This week we have plenty to talk about, from uh, more updates from the MotoGP silly season to discussing the events from, the, from last weekend at the Austrian Grand Prix. Joining me, as ever, is the short shift news duo of Dawn and Jack Hammersley. Dawn, good morning, how are you doing? Good morning, Luke, I'm fine, thank you. Good, good. Um, obviously, this weekend and into the this week, sort of, we've seen a lot of news coming out of the MotoGP paddock um, from Moto2 and MotoGP. But the main one that caught my eye from a British sense was Jake Dixon. Obviously, there had been rumours he was off to MotoGP, but he's uh, signed a contract extension with the Gas Gas Aspar team to stay in Moto2. Do you think this is the best move for Jake's career going forward if he couldn't get a competitive MotoGP bike? Yes, definitely, 100%. I think he needs another year in Moto2. And I really believe that if he ends the season in a strong position, perhaps you know a couple more wins... I think he's going to have a really good season next year. I think it's really a very good um, decision by Jake. Yeah, obviously, with it seems the cost is moving up and uh, another championship challenger has announced they're staying as well. So it's a good chance for Jake to be even closer into the championship fight going into next year as well. Um, good morning, Jack. How, how have you been recently? Uh, I've been very well, thank you, Luke. Good, good. Obviously, Jack... It seems like you have been busy on your uh, esports side of things. Obviously, today is the the first round of the MotoGP Esports World Championship. Uh, yesterday, you had your qualifying session. Do you, it, it seems you had a, a very strong start to, to the year so far. Do you care to tell us a little bit more about what you're expecting from today and how you did in qualifying? Yeah, so in um, there's one sprint race and two full races for me uh the sprint race the sprint quali- qualifying was only five minutes so around Magello, so really only get two laps and I, my lap was good enough to um go to second place so that's my first front row since my debut and then in catalonia i got pole position and uh, my first pole position in the Mizano, i got second again and the race pace for Mugello and Mizano is good enough for the win. Only problem is there's about five other people who have the exact same pace, so it will literally come down to the starts and slipstream and all that kind of stuff. But Catalonia, I feel like if I get a chance to take the lead, don't get disturbed, I can sort of do what Pekka did this weekend and just ride off into the distance as long as everything goes smoothly and nothing goes wrong. Uh, we haven't actually said who you're with this year. You stayed with uh, Red Bull KTM, haven't you, for the season? Yes, have, yes. How many, what season is this with them? Is this your third season? Uh, it's my third, third season, yeah. Obviously, was that the, the ideal place for, for you to be again? Obviously, where you've been with them a while now? Yeah, it's sort of just how everyone expects it to go, really. just sort of made sense. Yeah. Uh, your races today obviously would have happened before this podcast comes out. Um, so you've got the pace for the the win. What where would you be sort of happy with if sort of like say your start isn't great? Obviously we want it to be and we want you to be challenging for the win. But where would you be be happy with sort of uh, minimum? Okay, in the sprint race, if I have a bad start, I'd say top five because there's not a lot of time. 
So if I can salvage a top five after a bad start, I'd be happy. With the other two, Catalonia, I if I don't win, I, will, I won't be happy with myself at all. Because I feel like it's, it's like one of those races where if I don't win, I probably never am going to win. Uh, and then Mazzano, if I have a bad start, I still, I still think I should be getting a podium minimum, but uh, I guess I'll just have to see how it goes. Well, Jack, best of luck for later. Um, I will keep an eye out for the results. And is it on YouTube again? Because I know it's been. It's on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, uh, and Twitch. Right. I will, if I am around and have time, I'll make sure to, to watch and see how you get on. But best of luck, mate, for later. And it will most likely be on our uh, social media by the time this comes out of how you've done. But yes. Good luck, Jack, and uh, now let's talk about the other side of MotoGP from the Austrian Grand Prix this weekend. We'll start off with some of the silly season stuff and some of the contracts that have been signed, sort of the, the, the new news. Uh, Jack, I guess the biggest one really is Joan Zarco has jumped ship. He's leaving Ducati. He's going, I guess you could say back to LCR Honda since he's ridden there briefly before. Um, a big shock move. A, a lot of people sort of said it, it wouldn't happen. It didn't make sense to happen, but it has happened. It's been announced. What were your initial thoughts when you saw that Zarco was joining LCR Honda for next year? I was thinking, what is he getting himself into? Because <laughs> uh, we, know, we know how bad the Honda is at the moment. I think... For him to leave Ducati, Honda must have offered him a very lucrative contract of some sort. I know, I know, they offered a big, uh, a longer stay than uh, Ducati did. Um, but obviously Honda need. I think Honda have now started maybe deploying the KTM tactic of trying to steal all the Ducati's um, brains. And obviously Zark is a very intelligent guy, and he'll know what makes the Ducati work, and he'll bring that information to Honda and Honda can then use that to uh, try and improve their bike for 2024 and five. So I think for Honda, it makes a lot of sense for Zarco. Maybe it could just be the fact that he's accepted. He's never going to be a world champion, maybe. And if we're being realistic, it probably means he's only got nine more races to become a MotoGP race winner unless the Honda can turn around or he has an Alex Rins moment. So uh, yeah, I'm a bit, I understand it and I don't understand it at the same time. Yeah, I agree with you there. If I don't understand it, but I do understand it as well. There's the thing of he's leaving the most competitive package on the grid to go to Honda. But then there's the thing of, I think, talk was Ducati only offered him a one-year deal, whereas Honda offered him a, a two-plus-one-year deal. And at the age of, uh, what is he now, 33, I think he is? He said that he wants that stability for the end of his career. And to be honest, it will probably be his retirement move if we look at it realistically. And it'll probably be where he sort of calls it a day. Um, Dawn, obviously, you know, it was it was talked about. A lot of people, like I said to Jack, would, wouldn't have expected it to. What do you think this means for Pramac? Obviously, they have to, I say they have to find the rider. But I know there'll be loads of riders who'll be over the moon that a uh, Pramac seat is available, but who do you think now would sort of be the front runner for that seat? I mean, there's a lot of talk about uh, Bezeki heading over there, but I've got a feeling he might stay um, with BR46, especially that Valentino was there this weekend and 
he sort of spoke, he wants him to stay. So I'm slightly ruling him out. So I don't really know. But like you say, it's a really good seat for somebody. Frankie. Oh, yeah, that was it. Uh, Frankie Morbidelli. I would love to see him there. A fresh start for him. Really competitive bike. And I think he'd do well. See, I saw something good on Twitter. And it has no official back into it. But it just made me laugh when I saw it. Um, what if Pedro Acosta isn't actually going to KTM at all? And <laughs> there is now this Pramac seat available. Because it all <laughs> Because has he has he said explicitly he's going to KTM or has he just said he's going? He's to implied that it's KTM, but he hasn't actually. I think he's just said I'm going to MotoGP. He's never. At, but I think he's obviously said his intentions were KTM. But obviously, if KTM can't get any doors open, and then there's this Pramac spot, Ducati are probably going to rip his hand off and go, "You're coming with us." Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they did it before with Martin, didn't they? Because he was with. Yeah. IO and brought him in straight straight into Pramac. So, if KTM haven't sorted a deal with Pedro and there is still sort of like it's not officially signed and sealed, then Pramac could swoop in and steal them and have Pedro as one of their riders, which would be an exceptional move on their behalf. But I've also seen things, and it's sort of at the start, I didn't believe it, but I've seen it more and more reported by different people that Jack Miller may be the rider who's under pressure at KTM. And obviously, I'm not sure if it would be, but his performances this year haven't been on the same level as Brad. And if they did want to bring someone in, like Acosta, would you get rid of Miller? Jack, what do you think? Do you reckon there would be any truth at all that Miller would be sort of the one the most under pressure in the KTM fold at the moment? No, I feel like maybe for next year, not next year, for 2025, uh, maybe. But I think for this year, I think, you know, it's Jack's first year on the bike and he's done, he's, you know, you see like races like Haref, he's done a very good job. Qualifying, obviously, he seems to be very strong as well. Just for some strange reason, the past couple of races, he just goes backwards. So I think, this, I think he said he's going to try and run a Ducati-style setup to see if that can fix things. And then, do we know if Jack, we've seen that race at Mategui last year, but if Jack has um, a bike underneath him that he can, he has a consistent pace, he'll be up the front fighting for wins and podiums. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I still think Paul Spargo, even it would be unfair as such to Paul, because he's not had a chance to prove himself this year, I still think he's the one that's mainly uh, under threat at KTM at the moment. But that now means there's two. Ducati seats available. There's a Grassini one as well that I've completely forgotten about, which would be a a 20, well, this year's spec bike, it would probably be, and obviously the Pramac would be a, a factory spec Ducati. So there's now two Ducatis open, and then I guess Dawn, that sort of ties into the thing of Jake Dixon staying in Moto2, but also Tony Arbolino is announced he's staying in Moto2. So the thing of where are these two riders going to come from that Ducati are going to get? is then why people have lent, I guess, towards Pedro. What do you think of Tony staying in Moto2? Because there's a lot of talk that he was signed for that Grassini seat for next year. Yeah, I, I am wondering it because the last couple of rounds, he hasn't really been up there and done what he did at the start of the season. So has that hampered his move slightly or his self-confidence that he's perhaps thinking, well, yeah, actually, I'd like to do another year in Moto2, win it and then move up. So... I'm just perhaps wondering if it has been the last couple of rounds that's made the decision there. 
it it is strange because obviously it's then opened the thing of well who is it going to be because I can't think of I know Fabio Quararo has said he'd be open to leave Yamaha and I know there's Ducati doors are open there now and it's just it could be a few people obviously there's obviously the, the Honda rumours that Mark and Mia want to leave and I think it's going to be very interesting next couple of weeks to see what does happen obviously Jake and Tony Abelino are ruled out of it now Zarko obviously moved to Honda there are still a few riders without contracts but I guess really the thing is watch this space for what happens I guess I don't think it could be anyone at this point to be honest and I would and wouldn't be surprised with whoever gets one of those rides um talk about the actual on-track action rather than the behind-the-scenes silly season stuff now. We'll go straight into MotoGP, and I don't think... Really, I think we'll start straight away with Paco and his sort of weekend he's putting together more consistently now. Uh, Jack, again, another perfect Paco weekend. Looked unbeatable, really. Um, anything else to say on, on his weekend around the Red Bull ring? Not really. <laughs> yeah, it just... What What do you reckon it is with Paco? Do you reckon he has just sort of... His mentality maybe has changed? Because obviously we've seen other champions crumble after their year of... After winning the championship. So do you reckon it is purely just the people around him have helped with his mentality? Yeah, I think it's... I think you look at him and Bautista. I think they're just in both very similar boats where... They finally won a championship, and well, obviously they both won intermediate class championships before, but never the top championship, not a world top championship. And the pair of them have just took that confidence and in thinking they're the best and they're on the best bike, probably the best rider, the best suited to the bike, and they're just riding away with it, and they're they're looking unbeatable. Yeah, it does remind me a little bit of. Mark in his prime of the thing of you just sort of know races when they turn up that they are going to be there or thereabouts if not unbeatable throughout the whole weekend um and really I know a lot of people would say it's boring and that he's clearing off but then I guess there was the same talk with Mark was winning it all it's just purely because we're off the what's it been 2020 the last three seasons we've had of just really close out-and-out championship fights, and now we're back to a dominance era, and everyone's not enjoying it again. But it doesn't help that Superbikes is also going through the same thing as well at the same time, with the same manufacturer, I guess, is also making it slightly boring. Um, Dawn, another Ducati rider, and i ask you both about this. Um, another Ducati rider made headlines for the wrong reasons. Jorge Martin, his sprint race... Um, look more like he turned up for a demolition derby, really, at the start. Wiped out a good few of the front runners straight away. Wiped out Luca Marini in a separate incident. Can't exactly remember everyone he brought down. I know Bezecchi was involved as well in the first incident. Quattararo was involved in there. Uh, yeah, so your thoughts on, on Martin's sprint race performance? Yeah, I, I don't know whatever was going on in his mind, really, and after the first incident, he actually admitted that he thought he was going to get a long lap, which then meant he had to get his head down and made him 
ride far more aggressive than probably he would have done. And I just really didn't agree with his move on Marini at all, definitely. And I think he should have gotten another penalty for that. And let's just say if he learns by his mistakes. Yeah, it was... It was again, saying that Pekka reminds me of Mark, but it also reminded me of Marquez in a way of, I'm starting far back here, I'm going for it, sort of thing, yeah. first corner. Um, yeah. Jack, it really did look almost a rookie error in a way because he did just... You even see him going through turn one. He hadn't even got the bike full lean like everyone else had. He was still sort of sat up when he went into the corner and then admitting he thought he was going to get a penalty as well. And then the stewards taking four hours just to give him only one long lap. What were your thoughts on the the decision of only a long lap being given for that first quarter incident? Yeah, I don't think it was satisfying enough because he, he's effectively cost like six riders points. Or mm. to the points, and I think it, Martin's just having one of those. You sometimes just have those races where everything that could go wrong will go wrong, and he just couldn't. Just one of those things he just couldn't help but knock people off. And and of course, it, when he knocked off Marine, he had to do it in front of Rossi. So it just it just made. I think everything just it was just one of those things where the dom- first domino falls and no matter what you do to try and avoid it, the, the rest are going to go along with them. So, but I think the stewards, I think people are just getting annoyed at the fact that the stewards are making what seems to be another mistake and people are more talking about the stewards having been problematic than the actual racing itself. And I think it's something that I think Dorna should be, and Dorna and Erta should be trying to talk with the FAM and, trying to fix this problem for next season because I don't think it's good on GP's part and Dorna's part and uh, to the fact that they're getting this, like, because usually when you see people getting um, uh, angry about these decisions, always blaming Dorna and not play, blaming the FIM because so Dorna are the ones who are more in the limelight, let's say. So I think I would be surprised if um, Dorna decide to try and influence the FIM in trying to change up the way the stewarding's done. Yeah, and it's not fair in a way that the the racing's sort of losing attention because of how the stewards are uh, not behaving, but the way that their decisions are being made, so just not consistent enough at the moment. And it's taken away from people like Peko, who are putting in great weekends, or Polis Bargro in the sprint race, who went out and got sixth place, I think it was, and then everyone's just talking about the stewards. It's just, yeah. And then Martin's weekend went from bad to worse, crashing in warm-up when practising the long lap. Um, yeah. And then seventh place in the main race for him. Uh, yeah, it just wasn't great. And Dawn, I guess, holding back his championship challenge a little bit now, which looked like it was uh, on the rise towards before the summer break. Yeah, it definitely looks like he's taken a little step back, which... Unfortunately, that's what we tend to think of Martin doing. He's, he's done it previously, so you just think, is he ever going to be <clears throat> one of those that can actually do it? Because you always think about his teammate Zarko, but I, you know, there is a question mark over Martin for me. Yeah, obviously, Martin is a race winner, but the, the main thing is the championship. It is not Zarko, you get consistent results, even if they're about sixth or fifth. Martin will push for that, like podium and then we're going to crash or make a mistake like that so I guess that's the, the, the thing he needs to iron out a little bit of just settling for where he is rather than 
make any silly mistakes. But but anyway, um, I'm just thinking. Oh yeah, Brad Bender. I guess you can't. You know, the Red Bull Ring. We can't not talk about the KTM and you know Red Bull KTM. We got to talk about Brad Bender and his weekend because really. I guess a lot of people, including myself, going into the weekend would have thought that Brad would have been sort of, you know, especially after his previous performances there, would have been right up there. And I guess he was, but obviously no one could match Peko. Jack, Brad Binder, in in the battle for, for second, which is really, I guess, where the only battle could have been, he was untouchable as well, to be honest. And did you sort of expect expect him to be there even in sort of dry conditions and did you expect maybe Miller to be with him a little bit more as well? I mean yeah I predicted Brad to win the sprint race so my full I have my full faith in Brad doing a good job. I felt like I thought he was gonna win the sprint race just because Paco usually I thought Paco would obviously I said Paco would win the big race, but that's usually because Paco uses the sprint race sometimes to fully understand everything but yeah, I think Brad just did the best job. I won't be surprised if he's kicking himself for not attempting a move anywhere at Paco because he did have a couple of laps to try. But I guess if he did attempt it, it could have ended up in a disaster and it might have been just better that he didn't do it anyway. And I feel like Miller will be... You'd be happy with the fact that he's got the natural like one-lap pace, but I feel like he's definitely going to be angry that he, he can't match Brad in race pace at the moment when he has done in previous races. Yeah, it is, it is strange when you see them. And I think you have sort of hit the nail on the head there of the thing of Brad over the long races is much better than Miller. But a Miller's one lap pace. And sometimes his sprint race pace is a little bit better than Brad. But it's just something he needs to work on. I guess, like you said, it's his first year on the bike, first year with a team. And if he gets that second year, which he should do... Um, I'm sure he'll work out those because he is he is a talented rider. Even if you know he gets a he gets a lot of hate on social media, Miller. A lot of it I don't think is deserved for what he is doing. But anyway, um, I guess really like we sort of expected, the other riders around <laughs> Binder and Bangaya were all Ducatis. Really, you look down in the main race, third place Pazeki, probably where he would have been in the sprint race. Fourth place Marini, again roughly where he would have been in the sprint race, and fifth place Alex Marquez. Dawn, it's just that thing of Ducati have built this bike, and even, well, actually, those are all on last year's bike, but they've built these bikes for the last two, three years now, and they are just still fighting against factory bikes from this year and beating the majority of them. Um, so what, do you think anyone in the next sort of next year can beat Ducati the way they're going? No, I think it's looking very unlikely, and... You know, a couple of years ago it was Honda, then it was Yamaha, and now it's Ducati. But Ducati do seem to be holding the rein, you know, in both worlds and MotoGP. So I can't see it happening anytime soon. Yeah, just looking down, I must admit, it was a better weekend for Yamaha. At least both of their riders did score points, I guess, is the one good thing. And a big talking point, Mark Marquez scored his first points in a, well, finished his first full distance Grand Prix race of the year. Jack, do you think Mark actually finishing a race and scoring points shows that he is bringing in this new attitude that he talked about, this new approach to weekends of actually finishing races rather than chucking it down the road? Yeah, I mean, it has taken a while to 
fully do it. But I think yeah. he, he, I feel like that race, he's probably, I think he got, from what I remember, he got passed by Frankie and then all just, he's behind Frankie and he just stayed behind Frankie for the entire race and just followed him. Because obviously Frankie's a, Frankie, more or less this season, actually has been the top Japanese manufacturer runner, despite what everyone, even everyone's still thinking that Frankie's not doing great. He's only like six points behind Fabio in the championship. And I think Mark probably just used Frankie as a good reference and just went, if I stay at this pace and keep my distance to Frankie, there's no way I can collide into him in, or something like this and crash and just bring the bike home for a 12th place, which obviously Mark doesn't want 12th place and Honda don't want 12th place, but I think it's just more important the fact that he's finished the race and they can bring home data and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it has moved him above Ralph Fernandez in the championship. So there is that. He is, they are now no longer uh, both Repsol Honda riders outside of the top 20 in the championship. So I guess that's a positive for them at the moment. Um, Joe Amir is still down there, obviously. His season's still going horribly. But... Um, they brought the new aero package as well, and that seemed to work for, for Mark. So do you think sort of there is light at the end of the tunnel now for Honda? Especially with the addition of Zarco? Maybe, but I feel like they're just copying the Catty from what I can tell, or trying to copy the Catty. And they're, they're, I feel like their bike, to begin with, just when you looked at, when you looked at it first in 2021, it you, you look at every different part of the bike and you can go, well, that's taken from the Catty, that's taken from an Aprilia, that's taken from this bike and this bike. And they've not gone for their own concept and they've just tried to copy all four, manu- all four and then five manufacturers. So, yeah, I guess we'll... I guess the, the idea is probably just to copy and try and do the best they can, but I would, I would think on them, they are clever people, so they've got to try, like KTN, they're being unique, Ducati being unique, really being unique. Yamaha are quite far behind the innovation stage, and so are Honda, and I think this is what the Japanese manufacturers need to do compared to the European ones and start just taking maybe a few risks in part and just trying to look at the rule book and see any loopholes, because that's what obviously Gigi Delinia is the master of at the moment. He looks at loopholes and he exposes them badly to the detriment of everybody else. So I think that's what Honda and Yamaha need to do. Yeah, we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. Of It seems that Yamaha and Honda are stuck in their old-fashioned ways. If it once worked, it will work again sort of thing. And if they can bring in these new concepts, it, you know, they, they've got to take the risks, which is what Ducati did for years. And finally, it's paid off, and it will pay off into the future as well, looking at it. But anyway, we'll move on from MotoGP. We'll talk about the, the I was going to say support classes, but they're not. We'll talk about Moto2 and Moto3. We'll go straight to, to Moto2 because you know, there was a massive result. Everyone thought it was a Costa. It seemed nail on it was going to be a Costa throughout the weekend. And then Celestino Vietti turned up in the race, clawed in a Costa, and took victory by over 1.4 seconds. Dawn, before the weekend, did you think Vietti would be anywhere near even a podium finish for this weekend? Not at all. Didn't even, you know, he, he unfortunately, he doesn't even come into the equation when you say, like, oh, who should pick for the weekend? You'd never pick him even for a podium finish. But I was so delighted that he, he took the win. Yeah, I'm just looking at how his weekend even started as well throughout the free practice. He's consistent throughout the entire weekend, like top five. 
near enough every session. Yeah, I think uh, P1 was the only session he wasn't in the top five, but it was just sort of the most we've seen from Vietti all year. I sort of forget he's there sometimes unless he sort of crashed out of a race and I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about him. And it's always the same on commentary. He'll crash out or he'll be fighting for sixth and then they'll go, he was once, you know, going to be the next big thing in MotoGP and now he's stuck in Moto2. And I guess it's just how it is with Moto2. You'll get a rider who falls off in one year and they're stuck there for the rest of their career unless they move to superbikes, which is what is happening a lot now. But Jack, obviously a good weekend for the VR46 Academy. Um, obviously a good weekend for Vietti. His first podium that you, you told me before this, I thought it was his first win, his first podium since Barcelona last year. Do you think maybe we'll start to see this more consistently from Celestino or do you reckon it may have just been a one-off race? Well, the next race, if I'm right, is Catalonia, I think. There's one of Catalonia, that's why I know. Yeah, it's Barcelona, because it's positive thing there. Vietti obviously was really strong there last year. He showed really good racecraft. So, I think, and Mizano as well, he was really strong there last year before he crashed. So, I think he will have the potential of winning, but unfortunately, we just don't know of Vietti because he has... Like last year at Austria, he was the fastest rider on track for ages until he crashed. And he was closing. I think he was closing in on. Uh, I'm trying to be won the race. I think it might have been Augusto Fernandez who won there last year. And he was closing him down rapidly and then he fell off. So I think with Vietti, you're either going to get a race winning performance or top five, or you'll end up somewhere where he's not noticed, really. So could be anyone. It <laughs> could be any one of those situations. But I would expect Fiesta to be a, a race-winning contender for the next two races, at least. Yeah, because I'm just looking at the championship standings, and he's in eighth place. And before this weekend, he would have been down in about 12th, which really sort of shows how invisible he's been all year to sort of... And how, you know, one good result can change your season. It's a bit like... I don't know what I'm saying. It's a bit like Sam Lowe's, really. Without that one great showing in Jaref, his season really would have been nowhere. Um, I guess that shows him getting the Superbikes, but the whole thing of actually beating Acosta in an out-and-out duel is, you know, it's, it's a big thing for a rider like him, and it'll do a lot for his confidence, especially where it would have been Acosta's going to win, Acosta's going to win, and just that result would have completely changed things. Obviously, Acosta was second place, so, you know, still not a bad result for Costa. It's not like he crashed out or finished 15th. It's not the end of the world for him with Arbolino behind him as well. But Ayagura, a, a good result for I started the season injured, really should have put more of a fight towards the end last year for the championship. Dawn, a third place for Ayagura. Your thoughts on, on his weekend as a whole? Yeah, very strong and... I think that might give him a little boost of confidence now that he really did need because he's a much stronger rider than the positions he's been finishing the races in. So I was really pleased for him and looking forward to see what he can do in the next couple of rounds. Yeah, his year's really not been how a lot of people would have expected. Again, another rider that seemed destined for MotoGP, decided to wait, has finally started getting back podium performances. So hopefully another rider who will start to get this form back. Um, Jack, we'll talk about Jake Dixon. 
after his bit of a tantrum at Silverstone, I guess is the only way to really say it, he's put together a, a solid weekend in Austria. Stayed clear of Darren Bender. Um, managed to get himself back inside the top five with a fourth place finish. Sort of, at ease to you know, beat Tony Arbolino again. Are these the results he'll need now that he's staying in Moto2 sort of to help his confidence for a championship challenge next year? Yeah, I mean... I was more surprised the fact that Jake actually had a good start for once. Yeah. And he, he, he you know, he jumped to second place and was like, well, Jake's usually good on tyres and it was considered to be a tyre war. And yeah, I was like, well, Jake usually in the races comes on strong, but just, just like a gore, it just seemed like five, ten laps in, all these riders, apart from Vietti, just hit a brick wall and they couldn't go further. So... Well, I think Jake will be satisfied with fourth place. Uh, he, I think Silverson's now in the back of his mind, and um, I think the full focus will now just learn, like learn the, the uh, any like maybe might even like try some random settings in, if they need to. And they've got the Pirelli test as well in Barcelona, and Jake is one of the few only few riders who actually have ridden on Pirelli tires before. You'll have like Rory Skinner, who has uh, Manu Gonzalez has as well. So, you know, I think Jake could be eyeing that could be a good thing for Jake next year because um, obviously the Pirelli tires are a lot different to the Dunlop. So, I wouldn't be surprised if Jake staying in Moto Two that could be one of the reasons as well because I feel like Pirelli the Pirelli change might take things up a bit. I am really glad that you just mentioned Rory Skinner there because you've set that up nicely for for me to ask about about him now because obviously I was going to ask about the tyres it's this big change that's coming in obviously Rory's just picked up his best result in Moto2 I believe this weekend with an 18th place finish granted it was you know a lot of crashes ahead of him would have put him up performances but he stayed on where a lot of people wouldn't have um, do you really I guess the big thing is that tyres do make a massive difference in motorbike racing. Neil Hodgson spoke about it in depth on, in the weekend. So if Rory adapts to the Pirelli tyres again onto a Moto2 bike, do you see him moving up the order, not drastically, but a, a decent way for, for next year? For sure, because the, the difference between a Pirelli and a Dunlop tyre in terms of construction and feeling is com- like completely different. And I feel like for the newer riders... They will, I think, it will be a bit of a shock for them because they're going from this really stiff, hard construction tire to this really soft construction where it's super grippy. And I feel like I'm interested to see how that would work with a very stiff chassis as well. Because I would speed up, they've got the stiffest chassis, so I'm interested how that would pay out as well. But I feel like Rory, he will have less adaptation time, let's say, compared to the others. So I feel like maybe for the start of the season anyway, Rory can have um, a little bit of a boost and then hopefully if he can just keep doing what he's doing now, keep getting finishes, keep improving slowly but surely, you know, hopefully Rory can be fine inside the points next season and maybe do what Jake did in 2020 and just slowly creep up towards the top 10 and then towards the top five for next season. It is all just about building on the results, I guess. And there was a, a bit of talk that Rory might lose his ride. I think Hopper's put that to bed of that's not mm-hmm. going to happen. 
especially with the whole I don't know the full story, so I won't say you know too much. But the whole thing with Sean Dillon Kelly at the moment, where it seems like he's being sidelined when he's fully fit to race, so there's a whole bit of drama going on there. I think with the American racing team, um, but but anyway, it seems like Rory will stay, and the Pirellis will benefit him hopefully going forward. Dawn, the other British rider in Moto Two, Sam Lowe's, didn't stay out of the way of Darren Binder. Obviously, can't blame either. It was a, a racing incident from what happened, but both ended up on the floor. Um, it's not been great for Sam since her F, really, and since announcing he's going to Superbikes. Um, are we hoping that Sam Lowe's luck changes before next season? Yeah, definitely. And with it being his last season in Moto2, it would be nice, you know, perhaps he'll get a win, but a few more podium finishes yeah and like you say it was just an unfortunate incident that happened between him and Binder and you know Sam had nowhere to go and so yeah I would like to see him back on the podium before he leaves yeah I'm just looking at his results since her F 15th in France obviously crashed out in that race got taken out in Mugello 7th in Germany 11th in Assen 7th at Silverstone and now another DNF at Austria not his fault so it's not been great <laughs> since her F, um, but hopefully things will change for him going to Superbikes. But yeah, there's a lot of, I guess really those are the big talking points from Moto2. Moto3, that was probably the most exciting race of the weekend. Four riders battling out to the final corner, wasn't decided until the final corner. Dawn, obviously Dennis Onchu was the main talking point from the weekend, being the race winner. But I guess Colin Vaya definitely deserves a lot of praise for what he did being a rookie and being in the fight for a podium are you sort of his performance this season unexpected would you say yes very I mean I enjoyed watching him last year as well but um no what he's doing is absolutely amazing the fact that he was in that top four fighting for the win and he just showed such confidence all weekend and for such a young rider in such a massive class, I think he's going to be one to watch, definitely. See, I didn't know much about him before this season, I, I, I must admit. What um, what class was he in before before this season? Was he in Red, yeah. Red Bull Rookies? Red Bull Rookies. Yeah, see, I hadn't actually heard of him when he moved up. It was a bit like what Neil Hodgson said on the weekend as well, of a thing of don't expect too much, which was sort of my sort of expectations before the season, but he really, really stood yeah. out. We actually um, sort of got to know who he was via his brother because last year his brother was in the British Talent Cup. Right, and it, okay. And he really, he did quite yeah. well, really. He, he did tail off towards the end of the season, but I don't know what's happened to him because... He's, he's, in, the, he's, in, the, he's in your... Doing See, something, yeah. Yeah, because he's not been in the British, which I was quite surprised, really. He's not been in the Talent Cup this year because he was a strong little rider. And through him, we sort of knew then who his brother was. So that's that's how I knew who he was. Right. Okay. No, that means I didn't actually know that. That's mm-hmm. very interesting. Vote you just made that. I'm looking at the Moto 2 standings trying to find Via. Um, yeah, where is he in the championship now? Up to 12th place in his rookie season, above the likes of Yamanaka and Tatsuki Suzuki and Kaito Toba, so ahead of some good riders there as well. Jack, obviously, 
KTM and Red Bull will be happy. At least one of their riders took victory throughout the weekend with Dennis Onchu. Obviously, with Holgado in second place as well. Dennis, for Dennis, actually looked quite mature and calm in that race. Did that sort of take you by surprise? He sort of waited his time and took it on the last lap? I mean, well, there was that. There was like those multiple laps where he looked like he kept going to go up the inside of turn six and then he yeah. set the bike up and back out. But I think we've seen, we've finally seen Dennis think about what he's going to do. He's not just, just get like, he's going to right, screw it. So I'm going to send yeah. this. He's actually planning and trying to think ahead what he's going to do. And I think that's what Keenan Toprak are trying to install into him because. You know, for, for years he's had the pace to win, but unfortunately just way too aggressive and not thinking. But now he's, since like Saxon Ring, he's finally, underst- and Magello, he's finally understanding racecraft and how to implement these things. And he's finally clicking. And now if he is, he is supposedly going to go up to Moto2, I can only think naturally could have his size, he's going to do really well on there. And we could be seeing finally a Turkish talent possibly in the Premier class soon. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you about that, actually. It looks like he is going to go up to Moto2. It looks like he's going to take a Costa's place, or maybe a Renas's place in the IO team. Um, big things expected of him. Grown, not just in his uh, maturity, but also actually grown in his stature over the last couple of years from when he was Diddy compared to his brother when they first both came through. Um, do you think it'll be... Um, Onchu and Holgado in that IO team next year together? That seems to be the rumour right now. I think that would be a very... Well, it's very difficult bringing in two rookies. But, you know, the IO team's solid and they know Danny from uh, 2021. Obviously, they know Danny's from this year and I feel like KTM are very, very um, determined to keep those talent, at least for Moto2, because we know when it comes to GP, they tend to lose the talent because they've got too much of it and they end up all going all over the place. But I think for the, at least the intermediate class, they'll be wanting uh, those two because they've been... Maybe, I was, I'm surprised they don't maybe want Sasaki, but I know, I think Sasaki's had his... Uh, I think Sasaki would probably be more suited for Oscar probably ride in Moto2. But yeah, I think those two are their safe bets for... If they're going to bring up two rookies, they're the two they're going to bring up. Yeah, it does look like Sasaki is going to end up at that Husqvarna, um, Dynavolt Husqvarna team in Moto2. But then that brings the question of who's going to leave there, if it'll be Tulevic or Binder, who gets given the boot at the end of the year. So I think Sasaki will move up. And I mean, the top three from the Moto3 race would all make their way into Moto2 for next year. Um it does look interesting for the the middleweight and the lightweight classes. Obviously, uh, we were speaking just before we started recording about the Pons team. Looks like they're going to leave uh, Moto2, which would be a shame for them. Even Canet and Garcia about a ride, so they'll have to move. Jack, you said the rumour that you'd seen was that the empty helmet squad would take their place in Moto2. Do you think that would be natural progression then for... Marrera to move straight up into Moto Two in the squad he's currently with, or do you think he needs to stay in Moto Three for a bit longer? I think he could go up because I think he's got the talent too. But I feel like I kind of but think the team would want because he shows signs at the start of the season he's just sort of dropped off. Yeah, so I have a feeling they'd want him to have one more year 
try and have a good long season and then take him up to Moto 2 if possible. Because what was the other thing I read? That he might be off to Ital Trans was another thing that I'd read, but I don't know whether that would be true because that would mean Joe Roberts or Foggia would be on their way out and Foggia's doing well now. Anyway, there's a whole lot of stuff as well outside of MotoGP towards Moto 2 and 3 of who's going where. And again, a bit like MotoGP. It could be anyone. could go anywhere at the moment. Um, I'll look at our predictions briefly. I'm just going to get them up. There we are. Yeah. Moto 3, you both said Sasaki. I said Masia. All wrong on that front. We all said Costa. Oh, Jack. Yeah, we all said Costa for Moto 2. That was wrong. MotoGP Sprint Race. Me and Jack both went... Binder, Dawn, you went Bezeki, and MotoGP, you both went Paco, I went with Miller. Very opposite ends of the spectrum there on how those two did with Miller finishing 15th. But anyway, a good weekend all round for our predictions. I think we did really well this weekend. Yeah, I'm one. happy with mine, all, all of our riders are on the podium, yeah. if, if they did, even if they didn't win. They were, and well, at least... Yeah, at least one of mine was on... Uh, two of mine were on the podium. That's all right. That's good going. Better than Miller and Messia did for me. I'm picking Messia, and he doesn't finish. Well, maybe I should just stop picking Messia. He's never finished. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about BSB this weekend. we got a little bit of time to speak about that. Going to Capital Park, obviously. A, a sort of iconic track on the British Superbike calendar. Everyone loves it when you say about Capital Park. Um... I guess we'll talk about the news coming out of that. Casey O'Gorman is going to be racing in the Supersport class uh, for the remainder of the season with uh, OMG Racing. Jack, bit of a surprise that he's going straight into the Supersport class, but obviously keeping his options open for his future. Um, we don't know if he's officially been to Cadwell Park before. He might have done on a, a sneaky test visit. Um, what are you expecting this weekend and I guess the remainder of the season from Casey? I'm thinking he can get top 10 despite you know, the lack of um, information with tyres, the bike, the track. I feel like Casey's just got that natural talent and I feel like he can get top 10. I'm not sure how he'll do for the rest of the season but I think that's where I'd, I'd put Casey. But I think it's good the fact that he's... Um, one, he's proving that he can ride a bigger bike, which is obviously a, an important thing to do when he's riding moat freeze most of the time. And also, he's getting his name out there more in Britain, so more British people know who he is. And if he's able to get into the Grand Prix paddock in uh, three or four years' time, whatever the... I can't remember how old he is. He's like 14, I think, so he'd have to wait another four years. I think it's good the fact that he's getting his name out there in different paddocks and... so. More people know who he is and he can raise his profile more and that could lead to more sponsorship and support and that kind of thing. Yeah, sorry, I just looked up Casey Gorman to try and figure out his age and it's come up with a Love Island contestant, so that is not <laughs> the rider. That is not the person I'm after. There we are. There's Casey. That's the actual Casey Gorman. Um, born in 2007, so that would make him 16, I believe. Two, two years. He's got to wait two years. Or maybe three, depending on when his birthday is. Uh, it's August, we did say on here, and I skipped over it. August the 6th. Three years now, because he isn't going to sign a contract to start at Silverstone, is he? 
Well, that's the last. Unless someone, unless someone loses their contract halfway through the year and then he can jump in. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's, uh, there's the whole different things with the ages at the moment. Like, I'm all confused on what age they have to be now. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it'll be good to see him. It, obviously, keeping his options open, like we said, to keep staying in the British paddock if MotoGP paddock doesn't work out for him. Looks good in his uh, appearance at Fruxton, which has obviously made OMG sign him for the remainder of the year. Uh, Dawn... Staying on the super sport side of things this weekend, asked you before, does it seem like Max is going to be back with McAdam, so that'll be exciting news for him to be back out on track? Yeah, definitely. Max is really been eager to get, get back on track, and it looks to me he possibly could have made it, but he still wasn't feeling too good, so he made the right decision not to take part, but now he's feeling much better, so really looking forward to having both bikes on track this weekend. Yeah, obviously, talent cup don't go to Cadwell, so Mortimer Racing won't be there. Um, obviously, Tom's Paris will be there with McAdams. You've said he's been there before, so some actual track knowledge, which will be good for him around this season. Hopefully, some good results for the, the team this weekend. Then, um, British Superbikes. Now, I can't lie. I don't really know who's uh, historically gone well around Cadwell, I just know Brad Ray smashed the latter record last year. I know Ryan Vickers. Hunt. Danny Brocken. Yeah. Hickman. Vickers, I know, held the lap record. Got, Vickers has got the unofficial lap record. Yeah. Right. So, no, no, sorry, Brad does. Brad, Brad does. I think Rick, he took it off Vickers last year. Um, which I think that. So, in like, last year it was Bocken. The year before that it was Hickman. The year before that was COVID, the year before that was Brooks, and then the year before that was Haslam. I know Haslam, until last year, Haslam had, since 2005 or six, he'd won at least one race at Cadwell every single year, he'd competed in BSB. So I'd say Haslam is, if you're going to bet your money on somebody to win a random race, I'd say Leon Germain. I'll probably do it, Matt, just after we finish then. Um... <laughs> So, since I've already got a bet on Haslam for the championship this year, I might as well double up and go for a, go for a race win. Um, yeah, so it seems like, from what you're saying there, if BMW can sort themselves out this weekend after their Fruxton performance, expect a BMW to be at least on the top step from one of the races? Yeah, I'd say this should be, you know, because Brooks has always been handy at Cadbull, Hickman has, Buchan has, Haslam has, so... If the bike works, and I think they'll have the normal SEX tyre, which they much prefer, um, I think they will. Um, they should be fine up there. But I, I've got a gut feeling that Thomas George Bridewell, he's won at Cadwell before. I feel like he's going to be. He's going to be the man to beat. <laughs> See, I'm I'm laughing because I'm now thinking the two manufacturers who struggled the most at Fruxton are now. The two that we're expected to do well at, at Cadwell. It just BSB this year has just been it's crazy. Yeah, mental, crazy. The whole thing has just been towards different riders and different circles. It does, yeah. And it's the thing of, you know, you have Jason dominating at Fruxton to then, I don't know how he does it. Cadwell, I'm assuming, obviously not as great as before. Right. So. He could completely be off the podium potentially this weekend. Yeah. He could get a triple. He could be fifth. Yeah. He, could, 
he, he might have been finish any races. Lee Jackson, I'm expecting Lee Jackson to be strong yeah. because it's his yeah. home circuit. The Kawasaki usually works there. We think it's been even when he was on the Smiths BMW years ago, he had the lap record and got a podium. So I think in Lee Jackson, he's a safe top five man for this weekend. All right, let's do our rider of the round then for each of us while we're while we're sort of on the topic at the moment. Jack, have you got any idea who you could pin down to the rider of the round for this weekend? I'll go Thomas George Bridewell. Tommy. Sorry, I dropped my pen earlier on. Um, Bridewell for Jack. Dawn, any ideas who you'd put down as rider of the round? Oh, gosh. I'm going to go Ryan Vickers. Stop my glasses. Um, yeah, that's who I was going to go for. Um, I don't want to do the same now. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good shout with, with Vickers. He does look like he'd you know, on the yeah. runner form at the moment. Um, I'm going to back Brooks. Why not? I'll say his yeah. form from Fruxton. Go three completely different riders. All on three different manufacturers as well. So that makes it even more interesting for us. Um, yeah, obviously, bad Fruxton for <laughs> BMW and Ducati. Cadwell could be a turnaround. I'm assuming you're not going to be at Cadwell this weekend, both of you? No, we're not. Yeah, not making the journey either, surprisingly, up north. Um, yeah, is this your first round this season without going, or did you not go to Brands earlier on? Um, we didn't go to Brands and we didn't go to Knock Hill. I would have actually yeah. gone to Cadwell, but we just couldn't get a hotel. <laughs> yeah. It's, I think it's in a quite small well, plus place. I Actually, no, because it's Van Gogh, this one. Yeah. Have races, yeah, so I think we just left it a bit late. So, but we'll be at Alton Park, which is the next round. Yeah, and then the points will change and it will be the, the showdown, sort of. Yeah. Yes, the new showdown. So everything could change come then. Uh, would it be back to... I'm trying to remember how the points is going to work. Would it be 25, back? 22, yeah. 20, 18, 16... And then I have absolutely no idea what it is from then on. <laughs> no, I'm just looking it up now because I've completely forgotten. I only just remembered it's going to change back. Um, it will be... Oh, it's an awful quality photo. 25, 20, 18, 16, 14, 12, 10, 8, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Mm-hmm. And then even at Brands, then it goes even wilder. With 37, is it? 35 for a race. 35, sorry. Then 27. No, then 30, and then 27. Oh. It's completely, completely different. If you at least score a point, uh, at least finish 15th at Brands, you score two points. So it's, yeah, it's going to completely change. Um, And I could see the championship completely changing with these these points changing as well. Jason, for If, let's say, someone has a Jason O'Halloran-type weekend at Brands where... Obviously, he should be the fastest guy, and then it all goes completely wrong with like last year when he just kept getting taken out or mechanical failures or something like that. And you lose, well, you're going to lose 105 points. That's well enough to go from first to like fifth, probably. It, yeah, it would. Yeah. Well, obviously, not everyone's going to, not everyone can get that maximum amount of points, but that's the, uh, if the championship goes the way it can, like, can go. And that could be a situation. See, 
but I'm just trying to rack my brain here of who did well at Brands Hatch earlier this season. It was Tommy, weren't it? That was pretty much Tommy. Tommy walked. Yeah. So it was. Oh yeah, it was Tommy. Ah, that's just one thing we haven't mentioned. Danny Kent, obviously not going to be at Cadwell this weekend, um, which is a shame because he has been putting together some strong results. Fruxton ended with a crash, so that might be the reason he's not there. Maybe trying to get the bike rebuilt. Yeah. The suspension seemed to collapse or something like yeah. that, so it might be something. Yeah. Like an issue with that. It's probably uh, money-related, I assume, where he runs his own team and mm. trying to get the funds for... It could potentially be, like, a new bike with the damage that they had with what had happened to it. So... Hopefully, he'll be back on the grid for the, the last three rounds of the season because he was coming on strong and it'll be a shame to not have Danny Kent there for the remainder of the season. But anyway, it's going to be an interesting one again. I think we always think this coming into Cadwell. Um, obviously, where it's bank holiday, it would have started today of recording, but it'll be Saturday, Sunday and Monday. Um, yeah, I don't, think there's, I don't think there's any more that's come out unless anything has been announced while we've been recording today I don't think there's been much more news or anything else to discuss from the BSB paddock is there that's, uh... no I think that's everything I'll cool. just have a quick look I think yeah O'Gorman obviously going into Supersport no Danny Kent and already ah um, Luke Stableford will obviously be on the oh. uh, British Superbike oh. as well yeah on the Dow Kazakhstan's Dean's busy at the monks. Yes, yeah, yeah, that is yes. Sorry, I was just thinking there, thinking through who was actually there. Right, yeah, Dean Harrison. Um, yeah, I think this is the the natural place to turn this episode. Thank you both for joining me once again, and uh, we'll catch up next week after BSB and uh, have a chat about that and see if any f- more MotoGP wildness has happened in city season. Uh, thank you both. Uh, make sure to check out all of our social medias that will be down below in the description of wherever you listen to this podcast. Thank you very much and goodbye.